he instilled in this next generation the value of the house of God. And that's why I can stand here today. Yeah. And so we honor. And then my father-in-law is back here, Jim. And uh, give it up for Jim back here. So he's a father-in-law, of course, to me in my life. He's the, obviously the dad of my, my wife, but he is just, he's so great in the sense of that, like, he just always takes the time to, to pour into our kids. Just, he has so much knowledge. I don't think I've ever been involved in anything that he didn't have, like, a history or a knowledge of. You know what I mean? It's like this brand new thing comes out. I'm like, yeah, this thing's brand new. He's like, well, I had one of those 20 years ago. We did that. And he knows all about him. He knows all this stuff. But I just so appreciate him. He takes our kids out fishing, and he's saying, Caroline, you did, did you know how to tell how old a turtle is? And he might be making it up. We don't know. We just go with it. <laughs> oh, you count all the things on the bottom? My daughter was so, had the best day other day fishing with him uh, because they bought a, bought a bluegill, uh, caught, they caught it. And uh, they were taking it all off the thing. And uh, I didn't know this happens, but it, it peed all over him. And uh, peed all over him. She's ah, peed all over Grandpa. He's got pee on his shirt. He just had the best time of it. He didn't get all mad and go change his thing. So just appreciate and honor the way that he pours into our kids. Give it up for him. I, uh, I used to say in the first couple years of this church, uh, we would say, hey, Father's Day, come to church. We're not going to beat you up. We're going to give you a really cute sermon. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't want to say anything tough to you. You know, we want to, and we just kind of, kind of try to do that. And then as time went on, I, I began to just kind of notice something about men. And I would get more people coming up to me when I would preach maybe a harder or, or more kind of upfront sermon. People would come up to me and say, man, I really appreciate you telling it the way it is. I really appreciate you just giving it. And I began to notice about men too. Men don't care about fluff, Right. Yeah. You go to the hardware store, you're just like, tell me how it works. What do I need to get this done? And so I feel like that's kind of how we're going to go today. We're going to look at some hard truths, but here's the reality of it. Like, let's just cut to the point and figure out what we got to do to be successful in God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. And so I'm not going to try to rough you up. I'm not going to try to do any of that, but I'm going to just tell the truth because we got to get to the point. Uh, I was watching the Michael Jordan documentary, and um, it was called The Last Dance. It was a several-week thing. And uh, they were talking about Michael Jordan's leadership, and it was very hard on his teammates. He was very hard. He was very intense to his teammates. But what's interesting about that is people didn't bail on him. All of his teammates in the documentary said, no, we, we loved Michael's leadership. We loved because we knew he was trying to get the best out of us. We knew that he believed in us. We knew that we could rise to that occasion because Michael believed in us. But his leadership style was intense to the point that he actually even is known for punching a few of his teammates. Uh, I hopefully as it goes on, I don't end up punching anybody today, but, but they said we were, we rose to the occasion because he believed in us. He saw greatness in us and he called us to it. And then what really stuck out to me when they were talking to MJ is he said, listen, here's the thing. I was hard on them. He's like, I was very intense and our practices. They were very intense because I believed in them. But then he said this, but I never asked them to do something that I wasn't willing to do. And so as I'm intense and, and I look at the truth in a really upfront, bold way, I'm here to also tell you this, like, we're going to talk about truth, but I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not already doing, yeah. that I'm not already aiming for. And I'm making mistakes and I mess it up, but I'm just here to say, come on. Last night I was watching the uh, Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. It was the semi-conference finals on the Eastern Division, and it was an intense game. It, it went down to the wire, and then it went into overtime. But the more that the pressure was mounting, 
I began to notice what I was about to preach was starting to play its way out among the players. The pressure was mounting and the score was tight and they were running out of time on the clock. And so you would see the players, they, they would grab the other player and they'd say, come on, bro, you got this. Focus. You can do this, dude. We got this. And they would huddle up and they would get intense and they would be in each other's face doing what? When the pressure mounted, they called each other up to greatness. And that's where we got to be as men in the church and fathers in our home. And as we walk in manhood, we got to be able to look at each other without judgment, without, without nitpicking, without, but look at each other and say, come on, you got this. You're made to do this. You can do this. Uh, one of my just absolute pet peeves drives me crazy uh, with our kids is when they tell me, you guys know about this, is when they say this, I can't do it. And I know they can do it. No, 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 come on, come on, come on, you do this. I can't do it. No, you can do it. Because I'm your dad and I've seen you do it and I know what you're capable of. And I just wonder if heaven is looking down at men and saying, hey, I've made you leaders. I've given you manhood. I've, I've given you masculinity, this ability to lead. I've given you this and, and you're able and you're capable to be the head of your households. You're saying, I can't do it. I wonder if it frustrates God the way it frustrates me. Because you're capable. You're able. This is me looking you in the eyes saying, guys, come on, we can do this. We can lead. And it's critical. It's important. We can do it. I believe in this culture. It's never been more important than it is right now for men to be the way God created them to be. As a matter of fact, there's an attack on manhood, if we're being honest. Masculinity is being devalued by certain different agendas and things that are being trying to put in place. I would say it's not an exaggeration to say that manhood is under attack or being redefined. What it is to be a man, what it is to be a leader. And, and I'm not talking about being a, a tough guy and, and being a rude person and my way or the highway. I, I think there's some kind of balance, of course, between compassion and, and, and sympathy and care and listening. We need that. Uh, but then on the other generations, you know, there was some toughness. <laughs> my grandpa, who I love, he's great. Uh, but he used to say, he's passed away since, but he would literally say in the room when the kids were around, he would say, hey. Kids are meant to be seen, not heard. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, that's pretty rough. And then some days I'm like, that's pretty wise. You <laughs> get these kids to... But the, I understand that there, there's a rougher, rougher generation gone before us that maybe needed a little bit of softening and cleaning up. But, but I'm talking about right now, there is, a, there, is a, there is a redefining and a devaluing of what it is to be a man. It's been going on for a couple years. A, a few, I would say decades. It started in comedy. It just started as a joke, right? You know, I think the Simpsons have been on for like 700 years. And so you saw Homer Simpson, you know, he's just this beer drinking, duff dummy, doesn't do anything, can't produce anything. So the mom's got to come in and say, all of our comedies are about the, the mess up guys and the women's got to come in and fix everything and put everything straight. But now you're even seeing the celebration of this redefined manhood. We saw on Vogue last year, Harry Styles put on a dress. And do you know that that trended on Twitter, meaning it was the number, it was one of the top talked about things for an entire week. The fanfare that it got, that on Vogue magazine, this man was wearing this dress and teenagers and, and, and people, they, they loved it and, and swarmed to it. And because it's those subtle ways that those things get in and begin to redefine. And if we don't have men being the leaders and holding our world and our, our culture to truth, we're going to miss it. So that's why God said, hey, men, be the men, be the leaders. Walk in the truth that I've given you. God's word, walk in that truth. And that truth alone, you walk in that and you lead. God's design is for men to be leaders. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 
90% of runaway children identify as homes without fathers in them. 85% of what they would consider to be extreme behavioral disorder comes from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless homes. 76% of chemical abuse patients, kids who've checked into rehab centers because of chemical abuse, come from fatherless homes. 84% of kids that are in prison don't have fathers in their home. They don't have leaders. Now, these results are shocking, but not surprising. And the reason it's not surprising is because we understand that God's design is for men to lead the next generation is for men to be examples and role models and take their place the way that God created them to be. Criminologists, psychologists, educators, and religious leaders all agree that a father's role in a home is without question extremely important and highly critical. To be the leaders, it's extreme. It's not a good idea. Oh, maybe, you know, if he's got the right personality, maybe it can be that. It's highly important. It's extremely critical that the man be present in the home. I'll just say this, too. You can be in the home and be absent of the home. I'm talking about being a leader, being present, being a rock in your home is what God designed you to be. Some of your moms are sitting here and be like, oh, my gosh, like, what about me? You're saying the dads are important and do all the things. Well, you already had your Mother's Day sermon. I did. (laughs) But here's how I want you to hear it. It's not one or the other. It's like this. You can't really decide, hey, which one do you think is more important, oxygen or blood? You need both. And it's the same thing. So don't say one's more important than the other. You need both to make this thing work. So moms, your roles are just as important. Where a dad is indifferent, inadequate, or absent, it hinders maturity. Also spiritually hinders So they say statistically that a dad, so check this out, a mom is known for more of sort of the beginning stages of a child's life. And so you have the nurture, the care, the intimacy, you have that upbringing of the youngness, a lot of that will come from the mom. But when a child gets older and they begin to start being formed in their values and their decision making, they look to their dads for decision making And for value adopting, it comes from the dad. So where a dad is, again, inadequate, indifferent, or absent, it hinders maturity. And I would say the same thing spiritually. Promise Keepers did a study, and they said this. They found that fathers, when they do not go to church with their children, so if the mom just brings them on their own, when a father doesn't go to church, only one out of every 50 kids, one out of every 50, will remain a regular worshiper even if a mom brought that child to church every single week, bringing only one out of 50, the best stat I can find is about 18%. If a dad is absent in church attendance, only about 18% of those kids will continue to follow God. If a father regularly attends to the church, it goes up to 66% of those kids will remain faithful and connected in their walk with God. 77% if both the mom and dad say, hey, it's Sunday morning, we're getting up and going to church because it's what we do. We love the house of God, we value the house of God, and we're going to be there. Can I get an amen? It goes up to 77%. It matters the way that we lead the next generation. It's our call, but it's also our privilege. Now, you might be sitting here and saying, oh, Pastor Josh, I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad. I I, I don't have that happening in my home. Here's what I am so excited to tell you today. God delights in doing the miraculous. These may be the statistics, but that doesn't mean that they're trumping God's truth. Can I get an amen? 
if you still get your kid here and you let, that's why children's ministry is so important. That's why we need to serve. That's why we need to love on these kids. That's why we all need to do our part. That's why we need to not block out all of our summer dates for the whole summer. Because these generations, they need us. We got to work together with the single mom and the single dad. And we need to see God move in the miraculous in these statistics. So there's this guy in scripture that I love, Joshua. You guys all know this. Most of you all know this. But uh, you take the passage in Joshua where we see Joshua makes the big statement where he says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We've heard that like, oh, you know, that's really great. And maybe some of us think of that as like just like a little like maybe he was at like a ceremony or like a service or maybe he like needed to say something before they ate or who knows what the. And so as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But it was actually a really high, intense cultural time for them. They've come out of Egypt, and they're reestablishing the way, the new normal. They're, they're trying to figure out what is ordinary and what is unordinary. And so there's this pressure from the Amorites, cultural pressure, trying to redefine what is normal, trying to get them to think about what they can say, what they can't say. What's socially acceptable to believe? What's socially acceptable to post? What's socially acceptable to... And they're starting to redefine how many can relate to some of this pressure. This is pressure from culture about what you can say and what you should believe and what you can stand on, what is true and what is loving and what makes you a bigot and what makes you intolerant. There's all of this conversation happening. And Joshua is finally getting to the point where he says this, as for me and my... You guys do whatever you want. You've been delivered from Egypt. There's all of this. But you guys can start working out whatever you want. But I'm saying for this place, for my house, just so y'all know, as for me and my house, we're a people who serve the Lord wholeheartedly. The problem with these people, and I see some of these temptations falling into the church even now, the thing that they were facing was they wanted the blessings of God, but they wanted to stay safe in culture. They wanted no pressure They want anybody upset with them. They don't want to offend anyone. They don't want to lose anybody. And so they were so careful. I put it down like this. Uh, They wanted the blessing of God without choosing the sacrifices for God. They loved the message of deliverance and freedom and protection, and God led them out. But when it came to taking a stand and being unordinary and being different, I said, I don't know, Is is there any way that we can get both here? They wanted the benefits of the promises of God without the service to God. The reality is you can't have both. There's either the secular way or there's the sacred way. The unordinary. You can't be both. It's the bothness that's killing the church and its influence. That's why God was like, gosh, will you just please either be hot or cold, but just don't be in the middle. Make up your mind one way or another because it's this, it's this back and forth that's not going to get anything done. Choose the secular way or the sacred way, but make up your mind. See, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I'm making a decision, that not, not, not by culture around me, not by the pressure, but as for me and this house, this is what we're going to do. And that's a decision that we all need to make as, as pressure is around us in culture to, to redefine this and to decide this and believe this and affirm this. You've got to get deep down in your gut, your knowing of, as for me and this house, this is what we're going to do because it affects generations. They were pressured by culture to spiritually compromise. And the church, I believe, in our time is compromising. It's compromising. We hear the word of God, 
but we submit to the voice of this world. We come in here and we say amen and we like it and we hear the word of God and you say, oh, pastor, that's good. I like that. That's good. Good, good, good sermon, pastor. Good, good, good. But at the end of the day, when you leave here, you submit to all of the pressures and situations and circumstances of the world. It's truly, honestly, idol worship. I got to make a decision. I can either be this or I can do that. God wants to do something in your life. This is what I'm talking about. God wants to do something. Oh, God's speaking this. God's saying this. This is the word of God. But let me go check with my idols, the calendar, my bank account, my hobbies, things that make me comfortable. That's what these children of Israel were doing. Gosh, I would like that. But all these other things. Are you with me? So it makes us a whole bunch of people who stand up for nothing because we amen this, but then we live like that. Uh, being the head and not the tail doesn't come automatically. Everybody loves this. Oh, the scripture preaches so good. Oh, we're the head and not the tail. We're the head and not the tail. Uh, God's given, you know, nothing formed against us will prosper. We're the head and not. But you're not automatically the head. God's given you the authority and the permission. When you walk obediently, you then stand as the head and not the tail. But you can't just sit around and flounder around and be lukewarm and then expect to be the head. That's why the church has got to learn to start standing up for things that matter. People say, people say, hold on, we got a lot more in the tank. <laughs> people say, well, we don't want to say that because people might leave us. Yeah, and then the church doesn't say anything and you lose leverage to the agendas of the world and you end up being the tail and not the head because you're too scared to lose people. You're losing anyway. Jess homeschools our kids, and so we have all these learning things kind of all over the house and different projects that they're working on. And so Charlie's kind of into, like, facts and different things. And so remember at one point he was explaining to me the jellyfish. He's like, oh, yeah, Dad, the jellyfish, and it does this and it does this. And, and, and it's really cool, you know, and it's colorful, and it's got all the legs, and it does all the things, but it has no backbone. And so what it does and the way that it gets around is it just rides the tide. And if I were to describe the church in America as an animal, I would probably call it the jellyfish. Because it looks good, it looks cool, it's kind of interesting, it's got a few things that look right, but it's got no backbone to it. I'm going to preach it, John. We'll get there. The church is wetting the bed when it comes to things that it should be leading on. Leading on. And it's men's responsibility to lead in these areas. If we knew God's word, we'd have an answer to all the things we're seeing in culture. But we don't know God's word because we're not leading the way we're supposed to be leading as men. So we wet the bed on everything. We don't want to say anything. We get all scared. And so when all these cultural issues come up, race, sexuality, marriage, abortion, all of these things, when they come up, because we are jellyfish Christians, we don't know what to say. And therefore, those agendas go further than the message of the gospel because we're too scared to say anything. And so we don't understand why we're not leading in school. We don't understand why we're not leading in corporate America. We don't understand why we're not leading. Are you with me today? It's because we're a bunch of jellyfishes. We're just riding the tide. We don't want to make anybody upset. I got so much blowback for Juneteenth, right? We did a post for Juneteenth as a church, and I did one on my personal page. And so all of a sudden, and and I just got to say this up front. Uh, If you sent me something, uh, you know, that was just, hey, you might know this. And sent me a couple articles about this and that. I appreciate you having me back, but I, I truly got some, some just hate-filled, ugly things sent to me. Wow. 
And here's what I want to say about it. And it's fine. You guys can sweat. I don't care. I'm sweating too. So listen, not because I'm scared to say this. I like saying things that get me in trouble. You got to remember at my funeral, they're going to play John Mayer. My stupid mouth got me in trouble. I can't get up here and preach about not being jellyfish Christians if I'm not willing to get up here and talk about telling the truth. So, so everybody, so we get all this heat. We get all this heat for, 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 and I, listen, I realize that this, that there is an agenda, that there is a hijack that's happening and a racial divide that is happening. I understand it's a sensitive topic. I understand that there's agendas and organizations tied to it. But what you have to do is point back to God's truth, not just Ben Shapiro. Are you with me? And I'm fine with Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens and all those other people are all great, but they're not the truth. People over here telling me, did you hear what she said? Did you hear what he said? I know what this says. If any of those would include a scripture, I might spend a little more time looking at them. All right, where are we? 1865. Think about that day. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're celebrating. This is what we're giving honor to. In 1865, after two and a half years of having the ability to be free, they still weren't free. The, the, the black community, our brother and sister, are still not walking in freedom. And our troops show up in Texas like some ballers. I think this is pretty awesome. We should be celebrating this. And they're blowing in a gun. I don't know if they had a gun. I don't know. But they walk up in there and say, hey, brother and sister, it's time for you to be free. We're making sure this thing's going to happen. I think that's something we ought to celebrate every year. Can I get an amen? And I understand the agenda. Hold on. I got more. I understand the agenda that's trying to be. But listen, listen to me. If the church can't apply scripture to these kind of issues, then those other agendas are going to win the day and go further than we ever will. Why are we letting the world invent racial equality? Why are we? It's God's idea, not the world's idea. It's not any organization's idea. We need to go pointing back to scripture and saying this is where truth comes about race. We're all created equal in God's image, and therefore we celebrate your freedom and our ability to worship with one another. Well, Charlie Kirk says, bro, ma'am. That's where I give the iPad to Charlie. I say, hey, bud, just go delete all those messages for me. On earth as in heaven, black, white, everybody together, worshiping freely. What happened on Juneteenth was God's heart, and it's worthy of celebration. All right, back to wetting the bed, I think is what we were. (laughs) Things that we're called to lead in as a church and as men are being hijacked because you're to jellyfish. You don't know the truth. You're not willing to stand for it. And all the other agendas run away with it. And then you just sit on Facebook and complain about it all day. It's quiet in the Lutheran church today. Any territory that we've lost is because we've forfeited. I know you've heard me say that before. But any territory we've lost, well, we don't have education. Well, we don't have a, it's because we forfeited it because we're all jellyfish Christians. And we might lose people. You're losing people to the agenda anyway. Ambiguous means this, to be unclear or unexact because a choice between alternatives has not been made. Joshua is saying, hey, being ambiguous, this whole like you want this, but not this. He's, he's going, I'm not doing that. 
as for me in this house, this is what we're going to do. It ain't going to be perfect. I'm not going to do it all right all the time. But this is my decision. I've made up my mind. I'm not flip-flopping between all two alternatives. I'm not living like this on Sunday and living like that the rest of the week. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to be ambiguous about this. And that's why they can hijack sexuality, marriage, women's rights, education, all of those areas. The welfare system, all of those things are broken because God designed them to be handled by the people of God, not the government. Three times in scripture. I, I, I literally didn't get to my sermon in first service and I'm on pace to do that right now too. There's three things in scripture. There's a theme. I want you to think about this. The Bible's a big book, right? It's like a big book. There's a lot in there to read. But really when you think about all of the history that it covers and all of the time that it covers, it's actually not a very big book. Which means the things that are in there that God wanted us to hear and see are very specific and extremely important. So anytime you see a thread that gets repeated or something that's really made clear, you got to really hone in on like, what is God really trying to say about this? And there's three things in just the book of Matthew that we see that is older generation to younger generation that scripture wants us to catch. Young generation and old generation working together. It's dads on behalf of the next generation because God works on a multi-generational network. Let me tell you, dads, you can't show up in the birthing room and pray a prayer over them when they come out, take them to child dedication, and then say, well, I hope they do good on their own with God later. No, they work on your network. They are a part of your relationship. Your whole relationship with God is invested and imparted into them. We work generationally. I put it down like this. Action on behalf of one generation creates breakthrough for the next. You got to be doing something. You got to take action. Action on your behalf brings breakthrough for the next generation. I wrote it down like this. The health of the next generation depends on the holiness of the now generation. When you're willing to say, man, this is hard work. Man, this is great pain. But I'm going to stand up for holiness and righteousness. And I'm going to resist pornography. And I'm going to resist all these things that are trying to attack and attach themselves to me. But I'm going to stand for holiness because it will affect the next generation. I wrote it down like this. The faith of the next generation is connected to the fight of the now generation. The faith of the next generation is connected to the fight of this one. When they see you fighting because it matters, when they see you standing up because it matters, when they see you sticking your chest out and and making a difference and grinding for it, it's going to create faith in them when their time comes. Your fight, how mom and dad fought for that. Therefore, I have faith that God is going to see me through too. Oh, they fought for that, and they fought for that, and it mattered to them, and they fought for that. And then therefore, in the next generation, I have faith for it. That's why they're going to see me fight for the miraculous. Even though the religious people around here send me emails saying, well, you know, God doesn't do miracles anymore. They're going to see us pray over the sick and believe for people to be healed in signs and wonders. Why? Because it'll give them faith for it in the next generation. Because that's how God designed us to lead as men. What the now generation conquers will determine what the next generation will possess. That's why you can't quit. All day long, I'm sending people texts and people that are in ministry. and you know The, the statistics through COVID of pastors just quitting and packing up and, and getting out of it. But the problem with quitting is then it, you lose what you can possess in the next generation. All day long, I'm sending somebody else another sermon. You guys remember the push the plow, break the ground, sow the seed? <laughs> like, I'll just, I just keep sending that to people. Why? Because we can't quit. Yeah. 
We got to get up the next day and do what? Push the plow, break the ground and sow the seed. We just keep going. Why? Because if we break through it here, they get to possess it then. We don't sit back. You're not called, man, dad. You're not called to be a remote driver. You're called to change generations and you're able. God has created you able for that. Now generations, the sad part is this, the now generation's complacency will become the next generation's captivity. If, we, if, if we're just complacent and we sit around and we don't do what God's called us to do and we get lethargical, we get that lukewarm, we allow those patterns and those generational curses, we allow those things into our life, it becomes complacency in the next generation. I believe our young people have never been under such an assault as they are right now. I remember back in the day, it was like, oh, be careful, college, man. Those kids could go crazy in college. And then it was like, oh, senior year, man, the kids, things are dealing with that senior year. Then it was high school. Oh, my gosh, these middle schoolers, I can't believe. Uh, I was a youth pastor 15 years ago, and the average age of first-time sexual experience was 12 and a half years old. I don't even know what it is now because that was so long ago. But I know this, that the attack and the agenda and the things that are being pushed are now being pushed on elementary kids. I've never seen an attack on a young generation like we see right now. The lies, the manipulation, the extreme perversion, the identity confusion. Why is that? It's because hell knows something. Hell has intel about this next generation. I believe that we are living in a time like Acts says where the young men will dream, dream. God's going to pour out his spirit on all people, young men, young women, all generations are going to work together because revival's on the way. Can I get an amen? That's why this generation is under attack, and that's why us as men need to be there to protect them, to guard them. You wouldn't walk through a mall or a store and see somebody beating up a little kid or or moving in an act of violence and just walk past. No, you would jump in and protect. At least I hope you would. But look at all of the things in culture that we just look away from that are happening to our young people. It's time to defend and stand up and, and take guard for our next generation. I thought about this. The devil knew when revival was on the way with Pharaoh, remember? Pharaoh said, oh my gosh, we can't let a baby boy be born because he's going to be the deliverer, Moses. That's going to affect generations. We need to wipe out all these young boys. And so the enemy knew what was coming and put an attack on young people. We saw that King Herod said, oh my gosh, Jesus, that will destroy my reign and rule if Jesus ever shows up on the scene, the lineage of David. And so he sends an attack on this young generation. I'm telling you, hell has intel that a revival is on the way, that we're in this last day season, and we have got to stand up and get it right for the next generation. Can I get amen? Psalm 78, verse 3, is so awesome about how we do life with our kids. It says this, we have heard true stories from our fathers about our rich heritage. Somebody was bragging on God to their kids. We will continue to tell our children and not hide from them the rising generation and the great marvels of our God, his miracles and the power that have brought us all this far. They had a lifestyle. I want you to hear this. It was normal for them as a family to go throughout life and talk about the miraculous of God, the the signs, the wonders, the powerful things that God does. As a matter of fact, uh, it's not my notes, but they even got to a point where when God would do things, they would they would put together these stacked stone monuments. And when they would come along the way, they would get to that place and they'd say, oh yeah, those stones that stacked there because this was a time when God did this on our behalf. And they would talk about the marvels and the wonders. You have got to get comfortable talking about the things of God. 
you know, we got no problem as dads being like, hey, man, let me tell you the one time about this bass we caught. Me and Uncle Crazy Nut over here, we were up there doing the, and we tell all these stories of all this. But how much more so should we be going along saying like, man, can I tell you something about the miraculous that God wants to do? Uh, I kind of lived this out a little bit. Uh, I've been working on this like with my kids. Uh, I love for my kids to have experiences and, 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 and I just love to see how they process it. And you guys know me. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit late here, but you guys are cool. And if you got a tea time, just put yourself down for a birdie of whatever holes you miss because of me going long. <laughs> but we go, you know me, I'm like always on marketplace buying and selling and flipping dirt bikes on Craigslist and doing all these different things. And so um, I find this guy who's selling koi fish in Holland. He's not like a koi store. He's not like a koi thing. He's just this guy who raises koi. So I'm going to get some of those from my mother-in-law's pond and, and put them out there. And so, come on, kids. And, and Jess was working here. It was a Wednesday night, so that's like my night with the kids. And so I'm like, come on, we're going over to this thing. We're going to go do this. Oh, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Life experience. We're talking about life experience. And so, so it starts raining. Uh, I got all three kids. I got an eight-year-old, six-year-old, two-year-old. My oldest, Caroline, you know, she's like adventurous and, and likes learning and all these things. And so then my son is a little more introverted. He processes it all. He absorbs it all. And then um, you guys know our youngest one does ecstasy, and so she's just everywhere. <laughs> but uh, so we go to the house, and it started raining. It's raining hard. And, and, so we, and so I'm like, I don't know. Do I stay in the driveway? Do I text the guy? And by the way, guy, if you're watching this, he, he, or if you're his neighbor, <laughs> you're like, I know that guy. <laughs> Truly, he's like my friend. We text a lot now. I give him updates. I'm really not throwing shade at him. Great guy. But I'm sitting in the truck because it's raining really hard, and I'm like, I don't know if I should go in. It's just a house. It's a house in Holland. It's not like a place. He comes outside in the rain, no shirt on, no shoes on, just his shorts. Pretty sure he just put his shorts on because I got there. <laughs> he comes out like, come on, man. Let's go see the koi. I'm like, all right. So I get the kids, and we go in the back, and I'm watching my kids like experience life. This whole thing, right? He's teaching them all about the koi, just the greatest guy, teaching them all these things. And my crazy little one, Callie, dropped her Doc Mix stuff and stethoscope in the koi pond, and it's like electric. And I'm like, did we just kill the fish? You know, I don't know. Just the best time we're processing this. And I'm watching them do all this real life stuff. And so we get in the car, and, and we're driving away, and just this great experience. But I always like ask my kids things about life. And so uh, I'm like, and this is a true story. Um, the guy shirtless guy who never met me before. We stood in the rain together. Um, he had a polar bear tattoo on his back. I don't know how you decide polar bear. That's it. That's what we're doing. Get me. I don't know his life experience with a polar bear. I have no idea. Polar bear tattoo. I was like, got to talk to the kids about that. He was also missing a toe. So I could see my, and that's fine if you're missing a toe. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, like, I was watching my daughter, like the Koi stuff, but then I would watch her glance over at his thing. So we're driving down the road, and, and, I, and so I just start asking questions. Like, hey.